Okay, do so you, you have a favorite time? homebrew combat rule for yourself? I mean, or that of, you've seen? I mean, one of my favorites is that the 320s in a row is an auto kill. Mm-hmm. Like, that's uh, I really like that as a, just a generalized, like, house rule. Well, that's because you get to kill players with it. Well, I've done that a couple of times, but I think it's been used against me once. So you've used it a couple times to no, kill no, players, no, no, but sorry. it's only been used sorry. against you I've once. I've killed the player who I used it against a couple of times, but only that way once. Oh, okay. Sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> um, crit tables. Love me some crit tables. Those are technically homebrews. Yeah. Because yeah, you're not supposed to use them in 5th ed, right? And I love me some crit tables. <laughs> what do you mean you're not supposed to use them? It's not rules written by any means, like in 5th ed. Yeah. Like, it was, I think, listed as an optional variant rule in, like, 3.5, but not in 5th edition. Like, I don't even think there's a mention of it. I think that's just, like, a legacy thing. I play a shit ton of 3.5, and I never used them until 5th edition. Oh, really? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were so many fucking rules you had to keep track of in 3.5 anyway. I was too busy doing math. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you this. For crit tables, though, you have to have three different kinds. And you have to have different rules because spellcasters, and this is a big complaint about why people don't use it, spellcasters um, don't get to roll d20s as often. Yeah, yeah, clearly. So they not only don't get to uh, get the benefits of the crit table, but also they don't get the negative of the crit failure, right? So you have to come up with a way that this is going to work so that they are at least close enough when it comes to how often they're they're rolling on it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Or you have one entirely for um, when they cast a spell that has a save and then someone like crits, the, Yeah, succeeds. someone crits or or when the person rolls a nat one against their save and yeah. they get the crit damage for it. Or... That's so hard to figure out though because spells are just so different. Like to have one table that covers it all is going to be just insane. Well, that, you know mm-hmm. me, I, I roll with three crit tables, right? Yeah, but I mean, not all of them apply to magical effects. Only no, but one of them does, yeah. right? So one is for marshals, one is for spellcasters, and then one is for failures across the board. Huh? You're on the third one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on Dungeon Master Tips in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Kyle and Dave, and this episode is called Variant Rules. Highlight and cite quite the right rights for the heights of tonight's mighty fight. All right? In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to look at the various variant rules that may change your combat for the better or worse. It's going to get a little specific and crunchy this episode, but before we start, I want to ask a question. What's the most difficult thing, in your opinion, about DMing combat in 5th edition? Let's roll dice. Okay. Well, that's a great nat one you got there. Yeah, well, okay, so perfect. crit fails. <laughs> uh, um, I got eleven. The most difficult thing about about DMing uh, combat in fifth edition is the fact that uh, I find that I have to stop and describe things because a lot of the mechanics for maneuver for maneuvers and everything are exactly the same. It's not exciting by the dice the way that it has been in previous editions. So I have to narrate the excitement into it, and I've got to stop and make sure that I'm describing every single person's actions all the way through. Because in the past, you go to grapple, 
And there's like, well, first you manage, yes, you manage to get your, your left hand on them. And then they turn 30 degrees, so there's 14 fucking rolls on that. Yeah. And then you get to lift them up by the collar, so they're on the tiptoes. So we're going to roll opposing strength. To, and like, it almost narrates itself by the complicated fucking rules of it, right? There's nothing like that. And also like the, you succeed or don't. It's not even mm -hmm. like Call of Cthulhu, where there's like degrees of success or failure. It's just... Yes or no. It's binary. So I have to put a little bit more effort into it. Yeah, I think for me, the hardest part about dealing with combat is when it becomes 3D. Uh, I mean, I work best off of a map, and that's almost always a 2D map. As soon as you add people flying or swimming up and down in water, it becomes so much more complicated. Yeah. And it slows the game right down because it's, well, well, how far is this? Well, how far is this? And then people are trying to make that, like complicated doing I did trigonometry in grade yeah, yeah. 10 like how does this work <laughs> so like it just it, it's it's you know it gets a little more in depth quickly doing mm -hmm. it that way I would say uh honestly I think just for me keeping track of everything right making sure that I'm getting people to roll their saves every turn or you know who has what status condition on what uh Am well, I, making I like sure you people... guys do a lot of that on your like. You guys handle a lot of that on your own. Yeah, uh, or ignore it a lot. I mean, your, when you're DMing, you let the players manage it. Yeah, I mean, we're here to play a game collaboratively. Let's play the game collaboratively. I don't need to hold your hand through this. If that's the way it's going to be, it's going to slow it down, and it's going to just be a little more of a pain in the ass that way, right? Yeah. I trust that you got your thing and you got it settled. Let's let's do this. Yeah, I'll t I will take care of uh, what hits on initiative count twenty, like layer actions and regional effects and shit. But if like you got to re-roll your wisdom save at the end of your next turn, that's on you. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah, it just it stacks so fast, right? Yeah. yeah. Especially when you get into tier three, where you've got like beholders firing off six fucking things, or you're up mm -hmm. against hags, so everybody's got a condition effect on them. Yeah. Or, like de de devils, demons, celestials, they all come with that shit. Those so. little rings that we have on our Sundays that you put over the binnies yeah. that like have the condition effect are just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, we got those from Wildbot 3D, yeah. and people should check them out. It's been, that was like three years ago that that they sponsored us, but they gave us these rings, and we're like, sweet, yes, fuck Oh, yes. they're great. We yeah. still use them on our Sundays, so they get the enlarged one that like actually makes it... Like the base is twice as big, yeah. so yeah. it's a two-by-two two square. Like It's pretty good. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. All right, before we get any deeper into this and we talk about actual grid play and whatnot, let's cut to a quick ad break. We previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before we go any further, I would like to say thank you to Ed for joining our Patreon and subscribing and supporting us. Feel free to speak up in the It's a Mimic Patreon Discord and jump into the insanity with both feet. Later this week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, I sit down for a Legend Lore episode with someone who you've only ever heard once before on one episode and look into actually a different media apart from books to talk about a very popular Dungeons & Dragons story. Meanwhile, on all the public channels, 
The ladies of It's a Mimic are at it again with Undead, but this time they are going underwater to see what kind of bloated and rotting corpses there are befouling the oceans. Alright, so we're going to start off by talking about grits. Um, you know, but before I get into that, I'm not really sure how this counts as a variant rule, right? Because by it, it's not necessarily a variant, but it's an optional rule, right? Yeah. They're not going to force you. You don't have to play with minis. You don't okay. have to buy grids. The standard D&D is the one that you see on Stranger Things where mm -hmm. they are all just sitting around a table using theater of the mind to do it. Now, right? they have minis in there, too. Right, I think pretty much in every medium that I have seen D and D represented, I see the grid with minis and then the DM screen. Community. Uh, that's I, that's the one I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I also you're feel, right. Most of the time, yes, you're right. But I also feel like some of that might be like the movie uh, gimmick where they they have to like actually have a prop on the table to give you that little bit more. Yeah, if it's just a bunch of piles of paper. Yeah, it's yeah. not as it's not as good of a scene. So you got to put like the figurine on the table to give people an idea of this is actually what this creature is. Yeah. Okay. I, I talked to Dan a long time ago. He wanted to do actual plays and like record it and film it, right? And then we would release them the same to the same level of depth that we did um, production on Call of Cthulhu. Only, of course, now you're talking like 4D because we got light and shit to worry about as well. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to pull the stacks off the table. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have a camera pointed down at the fucking minis. Right. Uh, so I'm out at that point. Snacks are like 60% yeah. of why I play D&D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there are not uh, Cheeto smudges on the on the page, you've, you're not doing it right. I mean, yeah. Well, you know, if we show up on a Sunday and there are not barbecue lays. It is yeah. specifically barbecue lays. <laughs> yeah. like, our, our Sunday, it, it, yeah, we, we keep lays in. in we showed up a couple of weeks ago. I think there was a couple of bags. Like Yeah, but everyone will bring one. Like sometimes yeah. they'll, they'll pile up four deep. Yeah. And if they're not there, Dave's out. Yeah, he just turns around and walks the fuck away. Yeah. I'm also imagining that's how he keeps his death saves. It's just a barbecue smudge. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it it's is... It's my war paint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is technically an optional rule. Okay, uh, optional rule makes more sense than a variant, I guess. Yeah. I was just in that mode getting ready for this episode, and I was like, yeah, this is a variant rule. This seems ridiculous, have but you, optional makes a lot more sense. Have you always played with, uh, with Grid? Ninety I mean, percent of the time, I'd say. I mean, we do when we're doing candle keep. It's mostly theater of the mind. Yeah, the set piece encounter at the end might have a map. Yeah, but it's hit sure. us, Yeah, I'm I'm getting to the point where I prefer theater of the mind, mm -hmm. and I will really only bust out a map at all if I'm having trouble describing the complex setting. Right? It yeah. flows so well because of the way that we're set up, though, for Sundays at Dan's. Like it's that giant table that's all grid on the table. Yeah, yeah, it's a dry erase. Right, and so. it's ready to go. When we're even in my garage, we gotta like sit and hang up the thing on the wall, and then we gotta mm. get the markers and wipe it off. Like it's not, it's not ready to go. So, you know, it it as well slows down the game. So it's got to be worth it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Also, we have so many fucking minis; it's a crime to not use them. Yeah. <laughs> Dan and I pulled them all out, and we were looking at the ones that need to be painted, and we've got. Well over like 130 unpainted minis that are just ready to go. Jesus. Um, and uh, I was talking to Peps about it because all she does is is do like mini painting and stuff. That's her old Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. And I'm like, can I ship you minis, please? <laughs> there are ones I need to have painted just for the aesthetic. 
But, I mean, that's another whole other fucking side of grid play, right? Is, yeah. Is digging into the minis. Because you're not guaranteed to get the minis you want. No, but I mean, when we're doing uh, at Dave's house, right? We just have little pieces of paper. Like, it doesn't need to be minis. Oh, yeah, that's how I started. It was little pieces of paper with blue tack on the back. Yeah. You put them on the, on the map that's hanging on the wall. Yeah, that's exactly how we do it. You know, we got numbers 1 through 20 and A through F, right? Yeah. Now that I have any sort of that organization, it's just first one. Oh, yeah, it was just so you can, you know, F has taken 34 damage. Yeah. Moving yeah. on, yeah, yeah. Anyways, if you are interested in playing in grids, you can find this information on the in the PHB at page 192. Uh, so grids can come in two different flavors, either as squares or hexes, uh, both presenting six sides around each individual uh, square or hex. Um, however, hexes definitely have a more dynamic feel to them, I think. Have you, you ever know? played with hexes? I haven't, but I think they look classier. They do, although I'll tell you right now, area effects get fucky. Oh, okay. And, and like, like running to different parts of the map when you're not in a straight line when you're doing hex. Yeah. If you if your movement is like 90 feet, like for 30 feet, whatever. But if you're one of those monks that's going 90 feet, like you end up burning some hexes at like weird angles and shit to get there. Okay. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I, you know, I honestly thought it would have been easier. It is. Like right? I say, for small movements, that's why I like it for overland travel. Mm. Because you only go one or two hexes at a time. Yeah. So it you don't ever burn a hex, right? But when you're counting out, I mean, if they're five feet apiece and it's 90, right? Then you're going 18 squares. You're going to burn a couple of squares in the meantime, right? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so uh, regardless of which one you use, uh, each counts as five square feet. Uh, with moving in between each adjacent space costing a character an additional five feet of movement. Although, obviously, this can be impacted through things like difficult terrain. Um, so, say a character has 30 feet of movement, that means they will be able to move six squares in any direction, provided they are moving in straight lines. There is also different rules for diagonals, but we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, so, for a creature to enter a new square, uh, even if it is directly beside them, they must have at least one square of movement, so five feet. Uh, it should also be noted that when it comes to objects that butt a square, uh, such as corners, trees, or any miscellaneous object, a creature cannot move diagonally across it, and it instead must take the long way around, um, or just count it as difficult terrain, which I personally think makes more sense, but it's also just me being petty about things. So <laughs> Fair. Yeah. You're allowed to be. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, so determine the range. That should be your thing. You'll be Petty Officer Kyle. We've got Coffee Bitch Dave and Mel Sleep, yeah. right? You'll be Petty Officer Kyle. Reporting for duty. <laughs> he gets to be an officer? Shut yeah, up. that's right. <laughs> Shut up, bitch. Know your place. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your Petty Officer is still like the bottom yeah, rung yeah, of yeah, the yeah, Navy, yeah. but you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. You're, you're, I cut you off while you were being petty. Uh, so to determine the range between two points, uh, start your count at a square that's next to your point A. So next to your character, or next to your object, whatever. And count squares until you come to an abutting square to your point B. Obviously you want to take the shortest route possible between these two points, unless you want to be petty and you hate your players. <laughs> Why'd you look at me? Oh, you know why. <laughs> yeah, I think we all know why, Dave. <laughs> 
Uh, so in the DMG on page 252, there is also a variant rule uh, for doing diagonal spaces, um, where it recommends that uh, you alternate counting diagonal spaces as counting between 5 and 10 feet. So 5 for the first one, 10 for the next one, 5 for the next one, 10 for the next one. Yeah, that's what I usually use. Yeah. That's what I do as well on Sundays. Yeah. yeah. It's technically not mathematically correct. Um, it's close enough, though. It's close enough. And that's even what the book says. Is it's not mathematically correct. But it does level out the advantages of moving. Yeah. Right? So that stops you from burning squares. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's it for Gridge. So um, I got a couple of quick questions then before we move on to the next thing. Because we're, we're setting kind of the stage now for... These are all the combat combat variants today, right? Mm. So um, let's grab dice because I have questions. Okay. I rolled it. Oh, no, it's a... Ooh, you bumped me to a 16. I'm at a 16 too. Roll off, Dave. All right. Oh, going off to a 14. Eight. Baloney. I got a 10. Yeah. All right. So I'm talking to myself first. It's always how this fucking goes. I'm comfortable with that. Um, what are the benefits of playing on a grid as opposed to theater of the mind? Um, well, clearly the most obvious one is people can visualize exactly what's happening and you don't have to spend the time saying, this is how far away everybody is from the different things mm. every time it's someone's turn. When I was doing Theater of the Mind only with the Tuesday night group a couple of years back, and it was uh, with the Evil Campaign, the number of times that I would have to describe the combat again, Dave would move 10 feet and sucker punch a goblin, and then everybody else in the room was like, okay... How far away is the goblin now? The goblin hasn't fucking moved. You got sucker punched. <laughs> that was a bad table that... Oh, it was for easily attention. distracted. Yeah, yeah but no. like... And it was a great table for a lot of reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, was, it was easily distracted. Yeah. So I had uh, a lot of frustration repeating myself over and over again. And with a grid, I find that that's absolutely something that I don't worry about. Yeah. I mean, I always like having that more tangible thing. I like being able to... to you know, be able to put my hands on it rather than imagine it in my head. When I imagine things, I have found that I sometimes will imagine them very differently than the other people I'm sitting in the room with, and it creates a lot of confusion. When it's on the board, it's on the board. It's right there. Just have a look. We'll figure it out. It just makes it so much easier from that perspective, but there is that prep that goes into it too, right? Like, it takes a little bit more to, to get the grid going. Yeah. Kyle, what's, your, what's the best benefit of running a grid? Well, I mean, everybody can just see where everything is at all times. It's easier to understand spells, how an area of effect is going to work. You know, you don't have to constantly field the same questions over and over again. I'm going to say this, too. I find that my players, when they have their own mini, and it's like they've got a custom one, especially like a Hero Forge mini. But even if they're like, this is the one out of the bin that I'm going to use for my character they become attached to the character faster mm -hmm. if they've got a physical representation of their character. Like Dave didn't really give a shit about this last character in my campaign uh, at first and because we were using generic mini. And then you had a piece of art drawn for him and suddenly you gave a shit. I never even got to play him after I got the art. No, yeah, Dan he... had him killed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very true. Yeah. yeah. But having that physical representation of that little piece of art um, and so having the minis is is really helpful as well. Yeah. The other thing I'm going to say is that it makes things, and I'm going to talk about this much later, it makes things a whole lot easier to determine with an area of effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not fudging it mm. on a grid, right? Well, honestly, I think that playing on a grid can sometimes slow the game down because of the area of effect stuff. Because everybody's sitting there and like, 
counting out one square here, two here. Well, this guy's over here, but all right, if I all right, move okay, it over all right. this way. So my next question is, what are the challenges of playing with the grid, Dave? The, so that's the challenges <laughs> of playing with the grid there. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead of you so you're not talking to yourself. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, like it, 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 what I just said, like, it's just they get so bogged down in the minutia of combat. That it can really just make one turn drag on and on and on. Uh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Kyle, do you have something as well? Well, it's, speaking to that effect, right, I think one of the things that happens with Roll20, right, is they give you that little ruler tool where you can just like, yeah, oh, how far is this to everything? Uh, uh. Whereas if you just have like a grid on a wall or a mini, you can't do it the same way. You just have to kind of... Go for it. Yeah, you point your finger at and start counting squares. Yeah. Well, well, what we've done in the past is done a, like a template, maybe like a, a four by four circle, mm-hmm. right? And then we'll have that cut out on the side. And then when there is an area of effect spell, you just kind of like hold it over where the point is and whatever's inside it is hit, you know? Like you yeah. can have that template ready to go. And there are rules about that, and I'll be getting into that later as well, but like templates are the right answer. That's how we do it too. Yeah. We've got uh, on Sundays, we have got um, printed off pieces of plastic that are see-through, but they've also got, like, printed on them the measurements in, like, circle, cone, and square. Okay. All right? So you just hold it over the map. Yeah. And you look down from above, and it shows you exactly what you can use. That's that's... pretty awesome. Honestly, (laughs) what I'm thinking of now is if you just... had like a circle area of effect and you had to you made your players toss it onto the board like and then toss. that's yeah. <laughs> i like that uh, rather um, than roll to attack just like toss the thing that was on uh rpg horror stories on reddit yesterday was there was a guy who said i'm not gonna roll for attack i was gonna fling the monster at the board as hard as i can if i hit your mini you're dead <laughs> Fuck Jesus. Right yeah yeah uh, horror stories for a reason yeah um i'm gonna say the other challenge is that uh it can for my tactical players, um, it can actually ruin their focus and immersion because uh, I have people like Charlie who sits there on someone else's turn and counts the squares. Mm-hmm. So he's not listening to what's happening because he's sitting there trying to strategize his own thing uh, by being precise. Because the moment that you have a grid, the moment you have lines, it is now the right thing to do. Mm. The illusion of the chess game instead of the role-playing game. Yeah. Or I have to optimize my exactly. thing, right? Yeah, and that that's uh, I I run into that quite a bit. The other one is is Dan, who does the exact opposite. He's played been he's played for so long. He, he glances at it and goes, "That's thirty five feet, which is my movement. I can shoot one hundred and twenty at a quick glance. That's one hundred and ninety five feet away. Yes, that's within range. All right, and then he zones out for the rest of his fucking turn, and everybody else is talking because he's already solved the next twenty five minutes of gameplay. Yeah. in his head, and now he's playing footsies with Dave under the fucking table. <laughs> Right? We don't sit beside each other anymore. No, yeah, we yeah. don't. It, fuck, you're terrible. Um, do you like the diagonal rules? Dave, you play with them, the 5-10-5-10. Yeah, absolutely. I have to. Like, it's just... It's... <laughs> you know, right, Kyle? Yeah. Do you have a seating chart for your Sunday games? Because yeah, this we, is what I'm imagining. Yeah, we, yes. We, we actually... so, so we're doing L5R right now, okay? And yeah. we're, there's six players and we're paired up in, in pairs. Okay. Yeah. That's how it goes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the we're sitting in pairs currently. So, I mean, yes, there is a there is a loose seating plan. I was sitting between uh, Adam and Mieka on Sunday yeah. and I felt like I was in trouble. <laughs> you know, you know, like when you get set up to like That's sit like, at the front of the class. We had Dan sitting by yeah. himself on the far side of the table because he cannot <laughs> fucking behave. Yeah, I was like, Go okay. sit in the dunce corner, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So, um, <laughs> Dave, do you like the diagonal, the 
Yeah, it, yeah, it's just it, it's so easy. It it works. It confused a lot of people when I first started playing with it, and every time I introduce somebody to it, it confuses them a little bit, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to um when you're changing through things like difficult terrain. Sure. Yeah. Right? Because it's not 5 10 5 10, it's it's 5 and then double the movement and then 5 and double the movement. Right? So when you're when you're thinking with difficult terrain, or you go from a fly speed to a walk speed in the middle of your turn. What does that mean? Yeah. Right? So that's that's where it can get a little bit more confusing. But once you have that figured out, I think it's far better. Yeah. I would agree. Um, do you guys prefer a grid then? Over Theater of the Mind? Ooh, uh, no. I think that... Sorry, we rolled. You go first. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I prefer a grid. If I had enough hours in the week, I would make maps all day long on my grid paper. And we would bust out minis and we would play it like that. However, if I had all the time in the week, then I would also be scripting out my description locations and planning out everything that I possibly can so that I can keep that immersion in and not take anything for granted, right? Yeah, I, I think you got to mix the two of them. Uh, one thing I like to do, you know, Kyle, the um, after like the bad guy, the lieutenant or whatever in the encounter is hit or, or killed... I try to like, all right, on your turn, you haul back with your axe. And like, I try to give it some more detail. You you make a connection, you know, you catch him just above or below the blank, doing blank kind of like, mm-hmm. to kind of wrap it up, right? I try to, we've been using the grid to get here. Let's, let's get some visuals going as well. Every time there's a kill, I always say, how do you want to do it? Yeah. And then they do it. They're like, oh, I'm going to chop him in the head. And then I will describe the outcome of that. You got me to axe entered skull, and I will tell you about the blood and brain spilling across the... the and then I knock the mini over. Yeah. And they always die with a resounding meh <laughs> every single time at my table. So, yeah. Um, Kyle, do you like... A- uh, yeah, I do like the grid. You know, uh, I've gotten into making maps, so I think part of the reason I like it is, you know, you can have a more creative kind of combat with it. It's not, it's not on the list, but do you find when you're prepping and you're building a map yourself, Dave, I know you don't build maps. You use the pre-gen ones on Roll20, right? Yeah, we do Dungeon of the Mad yeah. so we bought that and it's yeah. ready to go. But when you're making your own maps, do you find that while you're doing it, you're actually thinking about the environment and the encounter more? Yeah, absolutely. Like it makes you take environment into consideration more than you would with, say, Theater of the Mind? Yeah, bro. Yeah, definitely. Right? Because it, it starts to matter more. I, I mean, I still do like descriptive of course, things, yeah. right? Like I like setting a scene, especially if it's something like from the Wild, right? Yeah. Where it gets really kind of kooky. But I mean, I think it also does help me having that visual there to help explain a scene as well. Right? Yeah, yeah I agree with you. I'm the same way. If I don't pre-build um, the map ahead of time and really spend time thinking about it, Mm-hmm. then there will just be like, and there's a desk in the corner. But if I'm building the, and I've drawn the desk, it takes me 20 seconds to draw the desk and color it in, right? Um, but during those 20 seconds, I'm like, and it's made of mahogany. Mm-hmm. And it has little etchings on the side of dragons in combat. Mm-hmm. Because this was a knight's desk, right? <laughs> and like, and now I'm just, I'm building history as I go. So um, let's talk about positioning for a moment. Positioning. From behind or on top, Kyle? Or- <laughs> Yep. Purple saxophone. The purple saxophone. Yeah. We still don't have enough people here for that. <laughs> well, I mean, thank s- Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure he's the one to thank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get anybody, any of them. <laughs> so positioning. Um, 
there's two optional rules here. You have flanking and then also facing. Both of these can be found on pages 251 and 252 of the DMG. Um, so first off, we're going to talk about flanking, where if two allied creatures find themselves on opposite sides of an enemy, they gain advantage on melee attacks. The idea here being that it is much harder to defend against attacks if your attention is pulled in two different directions. So to do so, both allied creatures must be able to present a threat to whatever enemy they're facing, meaning both have to be able to see the target and not be incapacitated. So they have to be able to take the attack action. What if the, hold on, does it specifically say C? Sorry? It specifically yeah, it specifically says, says C and not incapacitated. So an invisible creature that's flanked is not flanked? No, it's not. Cool, okay. Yeah, because I mean, that's why you have disadvantage on it, right? Because you're just flailing around trying to yeah, hit it. You can't flank in magical darkness. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm into that. So when playing with squares, uh, the two allied creatures must be on opposite sides of the enemies. Uh, the book recommends that if you're in doubt about whether something is considered flanking, you draw a line between the two allied creatures. And then if that line intersects with any part of the enemy's square, then it's considered flanking, right? Sure. Okay. That means that five of the eight squares can technically be included for, for flanking, which is yeah. fine. I, that's how I have played. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah. As long as you're not like in a straight line in front of somebody. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. That's right. fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, I would play pretty loosey goosey with the rule, right? Because I still think anytime someone is distracted while you're attacking, as long as you're not standing like directly next to each other, I, I'd probably rule it a flanking. Just because, I don't know, the whole idea is you can't block two places at once. It's still going to be hard. Yeah, of course. But, so when you're playing on a hex map, the DMG recommends that you count the hexes between the allied creatures. Uh, and that will count as a flank. So the number of hexes necessary will depend on the size of the opposing creature. Sure. So for a small or a medium creature, they have to be separated by two hexes. Uh, for a large, they have to be separated by four five for a huge creature, and six for a gargantuan. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can visualize that. That That's good. Uh, and now, if you also want to get granular with your combat, there is also facing rules, where depending on which way a given creature is looking, it will greatly affect how effective they are in combat. So with e each creature chooses which way it's facing at the end of its move action or as a reaction to whenever another creature moves. So what I take that to mean is that it uses up your reaction just to turn yep. and face a different direction, which I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of that. It just doesn't seem enough compared to what else you can do with a reaction. It starts to feel like tank warfare at that point because you, yeah. you shoot forward, right? And I, I don't know. I've got some thoughts about facing. Yeah, it's not, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of it, to be honest. So uh, generally PCs... And most other creatures have three arcs. So there's the front arc, which is directly in front of the creature. And then there's the side arcs to the left and the right. And then the rear arc behind it. Uh, now, obviously, this can change depending on the monster you're using. So like a Balhanoth, which has 500 feet of blind feet and four 10-foot long tentacles, probably not going to have a rear arc. Right? It's going to be all around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah blind sight will do that for you. True sight, I think, as well. Yeah, exactly. And then a Hydra is probably going to have a wider field of vision. 
than any other thing, too, sure. right? I assume that beholders know where everything fucking is, right? Yeah, probably. Um, Whereas a cyclops does not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it recommends that you kind of play around with it. You know, it's up to the DM's discretion. But if, I mean, I would recommend that you are letting your players know mm-hmm. beforehand, like, hey, this is what it can see. This was what would be considered a front arc, what would be considered a rear arc, just because, you know, you're going to preempt any potential arguments. This is going to be something that if you don't have a grid and minis to actually, like, rotate on a map. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good fucking luck trying to keep track of all that. Yeah. Your players would better trust you to be able to describe that. Or yeah. At least keep it straight in your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely would not be able to. Um, let's roll dice again. Because I am. Oh, not, you have more. I There's have more, more of a facing. Yes. Jesus. Okay. Uh, so with facing rules, a given creature can only attack other creatures that are located in its front and side arcs. Obviously. So. Well, advantage or well, enemies that are attacking from the rear arc gain advantage, and at the same time, shields will also only provide their AC bonus against enemies that are attacking from the front arc or the side arc where the shield is. Fuck this! Right? Fuck this! Yeah. Complicated nonsense. Yeah, not doing that. I guarantee I would get real tired of constantly being asked which one's a shield hand. Right? Every time they encounter an enemy that has a shield. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing on a hex grid, the DMG recommends that you determine uh, that to the DMG recommends that to determine the arcs, you pick one side of a creature space, draw a wedge shape, which I take to mean the same as a cone shaped spell. Uh, and then that determines its front arc. I know. And it's like, it starts talking about how, you know, if it's that wedge covers more than half the hex, then that's considered that arc. And then it also recommends a wedge for the back to determine the rear arc, and then wedges to determine side arcs. It was just, it, like... This, this is, this is Warhammer. Like, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're Warhammer territory. This is when you are at that level 20 final set piece encounter... And it's like the one guy versus like one on one combat, and you're like really trying to get granular with it. That's what this is for. Yeah, like if your players really want a strategic combat, sure. You you hear about the people that complain that combat took four hours for us to get through seven rounds of combat? Yeah. And my first question is always, well, how many players are there? And my second question is, how many monsters were there? My third question from now on is going to be, are you playing with facing? Good <laughs> fuck. Yeah. The worst part about this wedge arc thing is that it doesn't actually include an illustration to explain the fucking gibberish that they're going on about. <laughs> right? And so that's theater of the mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, really, if you were gonna if you wanted to use it with a hex grid, just pick one adjacent hex, and then that's your front one. And then the two to the sides are gonna be your Side ones, and then the three behind you are your rear arc. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you really like wedges. I mean, you could do that too, but. All right. Now can we roll dice? Yeah, now you can. Yeah. But wait. I'm just kidding. I got a 12. I got a 17. All right, Dave, you're first. Nice. Um, So, do you like to play with flanking rules? Yeah, we use flanking all the time. Do you? I think so, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I have decided not to play with it anymore. Why? I found that we were spending the majority of the time... See, I had two rogues in the party in the last... Well, that's that's what it's useful for, is the rogue, right? Right, but it was giving advantage consistently when otherwise advantage might not have been given. And so the rogue was suddenly getting advantage all of the time. Sneak attack was always going off. It wasn't a conditional thing anymore. It was every single round of every single combat. And so we played through the entire campaign like that, and then I announced to everybody, hey... The rogues are the rogue was doing consistently more damage than any of the other marshals at that point, mm. uh, because of this. They were just rolling more dice. So we, I'm like, we're gonna scale this back. And Charlie wanted to play a rogue, and he's like, okay, I'm in. That's cool. And he just played a swashbuckler, so it didn't fucking matter anyway. So, um, so yeah, we don't play with flanking rolls anymore on Sundays. Yeah, you know, now that I'm thinking of it, I don't know if we ever really get into it that much because our rogue sits back with a crossbow most of the time yeah yeah i, I mean, mean it's always been available like it's it's not something i've shied away from yeah i'm i'm enjoying not playing with it because it makes the rogue feel more special when sneak attack goes off you are now playing the rogue in the campaign because your character died. Yeah. So we'll see how you like it without the flanking rules over the next. Well, it's a very time. different kind of rogue. I'm a rogue fairy scout. Yeah. So it's um, a scout. Yeah. Right. So, so it's all ranged shit, right? Yeah. yeah. And you can fly, so why wouldn't it be? Exactly. Yeah. Um, tune in next year when I bitch about flyers on the podcast. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to enlarging, grabbing, flying, and dropping. I mean, you're still. It's still medium, but he can then yeah. lift medium creatures yeah. is the point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my grappling fairy. <laughs> Kyle, do you like uh, flanking? Yeah. I mean, if you want to bring it up to me, sure. But if I ran into that situation, the same one you had, Adam, I think I would probably be pretty mean with it. I mean, if you're going to use it, I'm going to use it. And also, if you're getting sneak attack every time, those guys are only going to hunt the rogues. Because they just, like, took a crossbow bolt to the head and took a huge amount of damage. Oh, they're coming for you. They yeah. want to find you. Yeah, and that was the other thing, too, is that this was this campaign was all Tier 3 and Tier 4. So I was throwing multiple combatants, so I was flanking as well. Yeah. Um, and, of course, when you have advantage with plus 16s, plus 19s to hit on the monsters, you're hitting, right? So yeah. we were just slugging it out. I found, and granted, we've only been playing Tier 1 now. But I have found that the combats tend to uh, last a little bit longer, be a bit more strategic mm-hmm. when it's not a three-round slugfest. Yeah. So that's that's why I'm enjoying it a bit more. Um, Dave, do you like the facing rules? No. <laughs> Kyle, do you like the facing rules? Fuck no. Um, I like the facing rules, but only under one very specific um, circumstance. Yeah. And that is uh, siege weapons Okay. that are stationary. The the um, ballista, the catapult, the things that are not easily cannon. movable. Like yeah, if the if the ballista is facing north, it is not going to turn south on its move. Yeah, yeah, and that's just it. Like I had a I had a dragon one time um, inside a small room. It got teleported in there and couldn't get out. So it was facing the door and it couldn't turn around. Yeah, yes, facing rules came up. Okay, right, but like very specific. 
the siege monster that the siege. So those rules to be one of those rules that you take out of the back of the book every so often and yeah, put it the fuck back there when you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and let yeah. everybody know it can swivel this far to this far. And here's my pen on the map. This is the range that it has to be able to. If you're outside of the range, it cannot swivel any further. Yeah, or you've got to like rip it out of the ground and and move it. And then that's like there's a lot going on there. So. Yeah. The only time I would see myself using facing is if I wanted to do like a heist and you had to get be really sneaky and just to make, I don't know, a more creative oh, kind of gameplay. Almost like, like Metal Gear with like you got to sneak between where the yeah, guards are facing. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, you'll throw sound to make them look another way and then you can sneak by and you only have so long before they turn back around. Yeah, and then, that's cool. Yeah. You're part of a skill challenge. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you like the uh, square grids or hexes better? I mean, I've never really used the hexes, but squares have worked just fine for me. Yeah, I have no problem with squares. I don't mind hexes for overland, like I said before. But mm. yeah, I'm cool with squares. Yeah, no, it doesn't make a huge difference to me. I just, I like the look of hexes better. But yeah. I mean, that's it. That's my only real. Fair enough. Uh, now, Dave... Yes. Take us through some of the shit that you can do. Once you've figured out flanking and facing and whether or not you're on a grid, what can you do during your action besides attack, cast a spell? Well, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. But real quickly here, uh, I got grapple um, to break down real quick. You use an action. If you have multi-attack, it replaces one of your actions. So if you attack three times, you can hit with your sword twice and then grapple. Uh, which is... I, I, I don't know why you do it that way. You should grapple first and then... Yeah, and then slam or something. But, but uh, maybe you want to... I, I don't know. There's... A well, though, then you get advantage with your attacks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I suppose, yeah. So grapple first and then... Yeah, makes sense. Uh, but it does use the action. You have to have at least one free hand to grab a creature that is within reach. Okay? Uh, now... That creature has to be within one size category larger than you. So if you're small, it can't be a large creature. It makes perfect sense, right? The attacker uses their athletics check. The defender uses athletics or acrobatics. It's their choice. Uh, it's an automatic success if the target is incapacitated. It's a free action to release the grapple. Uh, of course, that's the attacker, not the grapple. -y, yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, when you are grappled, your speed becomes zero. You can't increase your speed through any magical means or other ways. The grapple ends if the grappler is incapacitated. It also ends if the grappled creature is removed from within reach of the grappler. So if you misty step away, the grapple ends. Mm -hmm. yep. So pretty pretty straightforward. To escape the grapple, it uses an action. The grapple E uses athletics or acrobatics against the grappler's athletics. Uh, to move with a grappled creature, it's just treated as if you have... Um, sorry... It is not difficult to train. The speed is halved unless they're two sizes smaller than you. So if you're a large creature and they're small, you can move normally with them. But otherwise, it's going to take you... This is how I yeah. threw the fucking gnome off the bridge when I was running giants. I picked him up and just yeeted him off the fucking bridge. Yeah. Was this Dan's character? Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. I walked to the edge, held up my hand and let go. Uh. And then splash. <laughs> Well, scream and then splash. Bloop. Yeah. I should have guessed. As soon as I heard gnome, I was like, damn. Yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, other than grappling, we've got shoving here. This also uses an action. Uh, it takes one of the attacks if you have many. So 
you would probably use this last so that you're not shoving them out of range. Sure. Uh, but you can choose to either shove them back five feet or knock them prone. Or you could shove them back so that they're getting flanked if you're using flanking rules. Because if you still have movement, you can walk. But up, only shove if they're them. facing in the proper. No, you know, no, never mind, never mind. No, 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 no. But like, if there's somebody ten feet away, you can walk up, shove them, and then finish your movement by stepping closer and then getting the getting the flank rules. Yeah. Also, knocking them prone is yeah. Gets very you the, it, essentially the same thing. Well, yeah. well, it, it, again, it's one of your attacks, so you can knock them prone in front of you, yeah. and now you've got advantage. Exactly. When you're attacking with your mm-hmm. other attacks, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the creature can be one size category larger than you to do this. The attacker has to make an athletics versus the target's athletics or acrobatics, and it's an automatic success if the target is incapacitated. So, I, I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. This is the same thing that I said before, though, about the thing I didn't like about 5th edition, was you'll notice it's the same fucking mechanic for both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it is identical. Uh, buckle up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. It, it's fairly boring that way. Now, those two are the only ones that aren't actually optional rules. Yeah, these are these are right out of the PHB. Anybody mm-hmm. can use these, and it's known that you can use these, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think we've ever really come across shoving. No. But, or if we have, we've called it something else. I, yeah. I have discovered my table is going to be big on shoving because I have a warlock with repelling blast now. So we'll be knocking people back 10 feet left, right, and center. That's going to put things in people's brains now about the shoving rule as well. There's going to be a lot of ledges and fire pits and shit now so that I can reward my player for burning their... Thank God I fly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you get knocked prone... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they shove you in the air. Oh, no! You're prone. (laughs) It looks like they just grabbed you by the ankle and slammed you to the ground. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're small size, you said? Uh, not always. <laughs> anyway. Uh, as for the variant rules, you can find them in the DMG, page uh, 271. There are a few of them. The first one is climb onto a bigger creature. Okay? This one sounds kind of neat. I actually kind of like this one. So the creature has to be a suitably large opponent... And it is treated as terrain for the purpose of jumping onto or clinging onto it. Like difficult terrain? No, it is treated as terrain. As terrain, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're jumping onto it to, and treating it as terrain. But all it says is a suitably large creature. It doesn't give you a size category, larger, bigger, any of that crap. It's just suitably larger. There's a lot of... Uh, you get to make up your own stuff on this one, okay? Sure. After making the necessary checks to get into position, again... Perfectly, like, open up for interpretation. Mm. After you make the necessary checks. Doesn't tell you what those are. Sure, yeah. You get to make it. Uh, the smaller posi- or the smaller creature can then get into position and use an action to make an athletics or acrobatics versus the target's acrobatics check. So they're going to try to jump on or strength climb on, and the creature is trying to, I guess, shake them off. Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the idea. Yeah, or it's moving, so it's not it's not easy to do it, right? Like it's if you're trying to climb a cliff and it's shaking. Well, this is just to get on. Okay, this yeah. isn't to move yet. Yeah. Once you are successful, the smaller creature can move through the target's area. Okay, so if it takes up you know eight grades, you can move through any of the eight. But it's treated as difficult terrain. If the target moves, you obviously move with it. 
and uh, and in addition to that, the big creature it specifically says can attack the smaller creature at the DM's discretion. So yeah. it has to make sense. The Tarrasque isn't going to reach behind it and, and hit something off its back. Right? No, but it will smack it off its snout. I've used mm. tail attacks, and I've like, well, it it rolls over. Yeah. Yeah. The other one I mentioned in the book was a rub up against a wall or you know something like that, ceiling that kind of thing to brush them off. Yeah. Right. Uh, in addition to climb on a bigger creature, there's also disarm. Okay. You use this to knock an item or a weapon out of an opponent's hands. The attacker uses an attack roll versus athletics or acrobatics of the defender. If the attacker wins, the item is dropped. There is no other effect. Garbage. Yeah. Garbage ability. Because it's a free action to pick up a weapon. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. But it gets that magical item out of the opponent's hand if the initiative works out in your turn. Like, he just goes. Now, on your turn, you disarm him. And now his defense are down. The other party members can attack him before his yeah. turn. To uh, yeah, I guess you could knock it out, and then you could pick it up too. Yeah, like there's you you could make it work. Yeah, but it is kind of garbage. It absolutely it has absolutely no other effect. It just knocks the item out of their hand. Mm-hmm. If the attacker, uh, or sorry, if the guy holding the item is using two hands, the attacker has disadvantage on it, and the target has advantage if he is a large if he is a larger size and disadvantage of a smaller size. Sure, okay. Yeah. So it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, okay, I have, I have two questions right before we move on. Um, one question is, um, I had two questions a moment ago, and now they've both left my brain. Excellent. Um, oh, uh, sorry, uh, the first one's not a question, it's a reminder. And it is, just because you pick up the magical item does not mean you are tuned to it. True. If you knock the Lich's staff out of his hand you then do not get to raise dead with it. Mm-hmm. You need an hour with it. You can get it away from them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's yours to use now. Yeah. So especially for magic items, that's really important. And also, he is still attuned to it. He can pick it up again if he gets it back from you, and then he'll use it. Like, he doesn't need a full hour. Um, the uh, I, I will try to remember what the other one is. I have now forgotten it completely. <laughs> question? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, the next uh, variant option rule we have here is mark. When you make a melee attack, you can mark a target, and it lasts until the end of the attacker's next turn. This gives you advantage on opportunity attacks against the marked creature. These opportunity attacks do not use your reaction that turn. However, you are still limited to one opportunity attack on your in the round. Yeah. So... It doesn't take your reaction. You still have a reaction, but you can't then use the reaction to take another opportunity attack, right? Uh, and, of course, you can't uh, make the attack if you become incapacitated before the end of your next turn. It's just... Sure. Yeah. But that's really it. I could see that being useful for maybe Anthony, like Ulfgar the Barbarian getting up into combat when there's a lot of a lot going on. Yeah. And just he throws it away. Oh, this guy is my mark. Just once around as, yeah. a, as an off. But I feel like this is one of those things that isn't going to come up very often. And uh, it'll slow it down because the person doing it's going to do it all the time. If you don't have Hunter's Mark in the party and you need to track the creature and it's running away, or you're chasing someone through a crowded bazaar or during a parade or something, Mm. I can see this being relatively useful. Sure. But it's circumstantial. 
I just, very, I mean, most of these are, right? I just don't understand it as a thing. Like, I'm marking you or like, I'm coming after you. How does that get someone advantage? It's right? like on an opportunity attack and then help them not use their reaction. Like, I mean, I guess, oh, he's about to move. So, you know, what's going to happen. But I just don't like I can't visualize the action of marking something and then having that be an effect. Yes, this this seems almost more like a magical effect than a combat maneuver. Yeah. Uh, honestly, this is the one that I'm like, who gives a fuck next? Overrun. Uh, <laughs> you use this to force your way through a hostile creature space. It costs an action or a bonus action. The mover makes an athletics versus the uh, hostile creature's athletics, so it's just straight strength to strength. The mover has advantage if they're larger and disadvantage if they're smaller, and the mover wins... Or if the mover wins, they can move through the target space once per that once per turn. So you're forcing your way through, but that doesn't mean you get a free ride back, right? Yeah. So pretty sense. straightforward. It's pretty easy, right? Uh, shove aside is the next one. This is essentially shove but sideways. The attacker gets disadvantage on the athletics check, and it's uh, if it's successful, you move the target five feet within reach. So it's pretty straightforward. It's not. I don't even see the fucking purpose in this. I will just use my five foot m- of movement to get around him and push. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm out of movement, but then... Again, very circumstantial. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, next, we got Tumble. Use this to move through an opponent's space. You use an mm-hmm. action or a bonus action, and this is just straight acrobatics versus acrobatics. If the attacker wins, it can move through the target space once this turn. Well, I'm really glad that they addressed that problem. I really needed more ways to get through... An opposing monster's space. You're not fighting in enough hallways. I will tell you, I get frustrated yeah. the fuck out of my melee characters with that. Hey, yeah, I mean, we normally just draw lines and go. You know, we yeah. kind of get into it that pretty quick that way. As soon as someone walks in, the first one in gets surrounded. And there we yeah, go. I, I have a lot of combat in doorways and in hallways, specifically because it makes three people in the party out of the five go... Well, now what the fuck am I supposed to do on my turn? Yeah. So, like, they walk in, they attack, and the rogue's happy because he'll bonus action, disengage, and step away. Yeah. Right? And then the fighter goes into attack, and he's going to take an opportunity attack to get out of the way so the barbarian can go next. Right? Like, it does add a little bit of... Whereas the barbarian could squeeze through the the allied um, character's space. Yeah. No problem. It just counts as double movement. And now has to tumble to roll to get to the other side of the creature. Yeah. So now, and now we have flanking kickoff, right? So yeah. okay. So I, I'm not discounting the, like the ability to do it. I'm saying I'm annoyed that there's three to four different ways to do the exact same thing. Why are you giving me this list of literally the same shit? It's just. Uh, this one's an athletics check. Yeah, how do you want to get through acrobatics. it? Do you want to do an athletics? Do you want to do acrobatics? Yeah. Okay, you do that one, great. This is the yeah. opposing one, we're done, moving on. Why do we need to have overrun and tumble and blah, 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 right? Yeah? Yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you overrun, you're also stomping on the creature and you can deal 1d4 on your way through. Great. Add a little bit more flavor to it than just... You can do this check. So I absolutely 100% agree with you. However, these variant options in the DMG I find are more to kind of 
jog inspiration. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it's meant for. They're well, also I, holdovers from 3.5, right? Like, yeah. that's what all of this... These I mean, were tumble all... Tumble was a skill check. Yeah, right. Like, like I had a tumble ability. Yeah. Um, and, and so, an overrun... There was also, like, Bull Rush, I think, as well. I mean, nobody ever called it that. No, it was Bum Rush. It was Bum yeah. Rush. Yeah, but... <laughs> But like there, there were a number of different rules, and it looks like they just ported them over for fifth edition, yeah. and only have two skills attached to this whole fucking thing instead of there being, like I said before, ninety steps to grappling and forty different conditions for shoving. And yeah, I don't mind the simplicity of it. I wish there was a little bit more to it though. Than yeah, I wish there was a side. Like I don't want to just give up my attack. To just move, right? I, like, want, I, want, I, I want overrun to require that I have a shield. Yeah. Right? So that I'm bashing them out of the way. Like, I want there to be more to it. Yeah. But you can com- uh, combine shove aside and overrun together, right? Like, you run through, push them five feet away. Yeah. I, I just, I look at the, the combat side of an encounter is very robust. There's a lot to do. The bonus action, there's a lot to do. The reaction, not so much. The movement, not so much. But you're giving the idea of movement a little more flavor doing this. And that's that's the key here, right? Okay. I, that's why it's going to work sometimes. That's why these all are applicable in that one scenario. I do. I remember my question for disarm. Uh, did it say specifically it had to be a melee attack? No. So you can disarm with a ranged attack? Yes, or a magical attack, I suppose. That was my next thing. Like, you can you disarm with a fireball? DM discretion, I would say. Well, what's yeah. the role? The role is athletics versus, so not a fireball. It doesn't make sense. You'd be rolling athletics for your fireball to disarm. Uh, let me look at this again. It would be, yeah. No, it's when the attacker uses an attack roll versus athletics or acrobatics. So when you make an attack. An attack so, roll, so yeah. a save won't count. Uh, so it, not fireball. No. Yeah, it says a creature can use a weapon attack to knock another creature. So, I mean. Ugh. So what is a weapon attack and what is an attack of a weapon? I, I, no, no, the, the, those are two different things. Is yeah, of course, weapon, of course it is. I'd probably let you do it though. However, we're gonna get nitty gritty with it. Like an eldritch blast might do it because you have to roll to hit. And it's forced. But damage. a magic missile won't because yeah. you're not rolling to hit. Well, there's I mean, no attack roll. Yeah. Okay. Look. But then you're yo. So you're also giving up damage to do it, right? So you're like, I am specific. I'm aiming my eldritch blast at his sword. Yep. So. I, th- I mean, I'd let it happen, for sure. But again, if you're making a save, no. It has to be an attack roll of some kind. Yeah. Sure. You have to target the weapon. But because that's abso- my I'm, idea. I'm that's what I'm thinking. I'm absolutely going to let them do it with an arrow or a crossbow, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you shoot them in the hand, you can do this. Yeah, y- yeah but I might make that... I might, I might make their AC a little bit higher to make that hit. Well, know? yeah, it's got to be an acrobatics or athletics. I'm, yeah, I'm going to so- give them... I'm gonna give them advantage on it because it's a smaller target. Yeah, yeah. like there's there's a caveat for that for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, the I would make the person being disarmed have to do a save DC, right? Yeah. So you would use the same deal you do for spellcasters. So it's like eight plus your proficiency bonus plus whatever the modifier relevant to the skill is. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, variant rule here I was gonna go over is cleaving through creatures. This is on 272 of the DMG. Uh, in order for this to work, it has to be a melee attack. In The melee attack then has to hit a previously undamaged creature and reduce it to zero hit points. Then you roll... Sorry, then you take... It's There's a lot to this, so I'm yeah, trying to get this yeah. straight here. So, so you have to hit an undamaged creature and reduce it to zero hit points. So 
Uh, say you hit something that's got 7, you do 15 damage, alright? You can then go and get the guy beside him, but you use the original damage roll against that creature's AC. So you're not rolling to hit again, okay? And then whatever damage is left would be applied to the next creature. So I said the first guy took 7 damage. Well, say there's two goblins and he's got 7 hit points. The next guy takes 7 damage. Well, he was previously undamaged too. You can go right through him, and as long as the AC from the original, or the original damage roll beats the next AC, you can apply that you last one point. You mean it's a hit roll, point. you don't mean damage roll. Yes, I do mean that. So the original hit roll. Yeah, so if you roll a 16 to hit these kobolds. Mm. Yeah, it'll hit all, all three, three of, of them. them. Right. And then the first one takes 7, the second one takes 7, and the last one takes 1. Sure. Right? So it's you're just kind of going through them. But has to be previously undamaged. Has to be reduced to zero hit points. Okay. I hate that. This can be used I multiple like times, as, as many as you want, right? So if you do 75 damage and the creatures have one hit point, if they're all within range, you can get them all. Yeah, but you're not doing 75 damage with a single sword swing. No, you're not. But, I mean, Alfgar's, our barbarian can do 25 damage easy. You might, though. I mean, I, he's D12. If, if you're raging with a sneak attack because you've multiclassed, and you've got a plus three Holy Avenger. Like, yeah. you, you might be able to do, like, 40, 50-plus damage with a single hit. And then you crit on top of it. Like, you may be able to actually send out Yes, is it physically possible? Yeah. Sure, but it's... It's going to be rare that it comes. Yeah. yeah, you're going to be able to do that much damage on your turn through multiple attacks, but this is just... Do, do they have to be one. adjacent to each other or to you? It has to be another target within range. Okay, cool. Mm. I want to make sure, like, if you have a, a weapon with reach, you can still hit lots of things. Yeah, and uh, there's no none of this, like, five-foot stab. I mean, this is, again, playing off of the 3.5. Yeah. Cleave, great cleave, right? Yeah. There is no great cleave here where you get to take five feet. Yeah, but the good news is it's not a, a feat that you have to burn on it either, right? Because it wasn't 3.5. This is just a thing you can do. That's true. Yeah. Honestly, I was missing cleave uh, when I started playing 5th edition. Because, I mean, I always took power attack, cleave, yeah. cleave, like it was... It was that was your build. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? Whirlwind attack, let's go. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so I, I felt like it was missing it. I don't think this makes up for it, but it's, it's something. I think it's bullshit that they have to be undamaged. If you have one hit point left and I lop through your fucking neck, yeah, I should be able to hit the next guy. Sorry, I missed that part about undamaged. Yeah, yeah, so... They have to have full hit points. Yeah, it has to be an undamaged creature when an undamaged creature is reduced to zero. So you have to kill it in a single hit. That's the point, yeah. And that's the only time you can claim it? The idea is that... That's my only complaint. Otherwise, I love it. Yeah. Well, the idea is that your your axe hit is so powerful, it goes right through it, lops its head off, goes into the next one. Mm. Right? Yeah, but if you're not... It's not a glancing blow that does the last three damage... And then gets into the next guy. No, 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 no. This is a powerful move. Yeah, but the idea is that it's not... The glancing blow is not whether or not I hit with enough AC or how much damage they've already taken. The glancing blow is do I do one damage or 101 damage. One damage is the glancing blow, so yeah, I don't get to cleave into the next guy. Mm. 101 damage is Jesus Christ, that axe is taking me with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm spinning in a circle and it's out of, out of my control. Yeah, we're going to the Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's roll. Out of 14. I had a 15. I, I can't see from you. A 19? Yeah. Yes. I got a 2, though. Finally. All right, Kyle. Which of these are important enough that you think they should be included in most games? Mm, cleave? Yep. Uh, I, I'm, 
I like climb on a bigger creature, but important enough to bring it in most games, I don't see it being in most games. No, this would be, uh, all right, guys, you guys are going to fight this giant thing now. There is a rule for this. Here it is. Yeah. If you want to, great. But there on. are so few huge and gargantuan creatures that... I, yes, this is this is always in all of my games. It just never fucking comes up. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, other than that, no. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I could take or leave most of them. Um, if I can be honest, I like disarm as an optional rule, but I'm going to warn my guys. If they can do, they it, do you it, you can do it to us. You can do it. To yeah. Them, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I just there's yeah. And and of course, disarm does not include things you're wearing, so you're not able to like. Knock somebody's gauntlets off. Mm-hmm. You say are locked gauntlets a thing in fifth? No, they're no. not. So you're not. You can't disarm the brass knuckles off somebody. You can't disarm the amulet, the charm they're wearing. Yeah, oh, the yeah. Magical powers. Yeah, no, it has to be an item held. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. But like specifically held. So gauntlets and brass knuckles and wraps and stuff don't. don't yeah, no, of course. I would make an optional rule or like kind of like a side ability for it where you can disarm someone and then you can kick the weapon away. I mean, yeah, I would just include that as, as part of your interaction, right? Yeah, you yeah. knock it away and you like it skitters away 15 feet. So they have to go get it to pick it up. It's not just automatically at their feet. I And, and I call that an athletics check. It's yeah. not acrobatics, although acrobatics is dex. It is an athletics check the same way that climb and throw are athletics checks, right? So sure. it's, it's a soccer ball kick. Right? You're not trying to be precise with it. Yeah. You're just getting it the fuck over there. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah. And I, that's part of your interaction, sure. You, instead of drawing a weapon or stowing a weapon or pulling out a scroll or whatever, yeah, you kick the fucking thing. Yeah. I just, I find it a little anticlimactic with just, you knock it out of their hand and then they can pick it up as a free action. There should be some, like, I, I feel like they added... thought it was anticlimactic as well because they specifically put in it. It has no other effect. Yeah. Like, people are expecting it to, and they had to specify that it doesn't. Yeah. I also don't mind tumble. I really don't mind it, because I'm thinking about the scene in the in King Kong, the Peter Jackson one with Jack Black and Adrian Brody, because I'm the person that saw it. Um, but they are, like, in this ravine, and they, there's a dinosaur stampede, and they're running between the legs of these massive creatures and whatnot. That's tumble to me. Yeah. Right? The idea of trying to get through something else's space. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to me that the idea of climb onto a bigger creature never actually talks about getting on their back or, like, hanging off the side. This it's, is not ride. No, no, I know. But, like, you could be, in theory, climb onto a bigger creature also means dangle from their bits. And, like, crawl underneath the belly of. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just based on the wording of of how this works. I, I like that. I But I think climb and tumble could almost be the same. Yeah, I can role, see that. Right? The same kind of role. The idea that you are moving through someone else's space. I, I mean, think overrun is that as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that could all be, like, wrapped up in, in one big one. Yeah. I think they are excellent chances for rule of cool kind of things. Uh, is there anything on this list, um, Kyle? You were first. Is there anything on this list that uh, sucks? That's too complicated, and why bother? Uh, no, nothing's too complicated, and why bother? I most of it, I feel like there should be a little more to it, a little more zhuzh, you know. Just, but I think I that this like is supposed all... to be the zhuzh to the. Yeah, I know, I know. I just like it's not. Enough. I I like them. I am cool. would include them. Thanks, thanks I would include out. them, but I mean, I think I would just I would make it my own a little bit more. 
Um, I would get rid of Mark. I don't see the point. If someone says, I want to mark their armor so that we can track them later. Yeah, fuck, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, yes, you it only ends. It, only, it lasts one round, right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. So, like, even the way that, that I'm trying to make it work in my head doesn't... No, it's yeah. like... So, Mark is, is garbage. No, I, I feel like it's one of those things that... Remember in 3.5, you'd have Dodge written at the top of your character sheet? Because you yeah. have to declare this character is my Dodge, and I get a better AC against them. Yeah. You would do this with Mark, because every time you get into a combat, it's, that's my Mark, that's my Mark, that's my Mark, that's my Mark, and you're going to eventually use it twice, mm. but you're going to mm. point it out every time, right? Um... The other thing is shove aside. I don't see the purpose in this. Just make it shove. We already know that flanking rules are, you know, on the opposite side. It's these specific squares or hexes as opposed to where I'm standing. Just make shove work instead of directly away. All you have to do is add a sentence to shove. And all it is is if the opponent is not shoved directly away from you, the roll is at disadvantage. Sure. Hard stop. Done. Yeah. 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 We We didn't need to go through all that nonsense. Um, well, then it allows you to pull, too, if you want to, like, grab them and throw them to the square behind you. Which I absolutely let my guys do. If you get a successful grapple and you move, you can burn your movement to rotate and drag a person around you. But, I, but I'm, I'm saying you can okay. do this with the shove like the shove mechanic. Instead of shove backwards, grab and pull away, like... Through, through yeah. you, through the, the lane body. Yeah. But it's but my point is, it's the same fucking thing the way that I do it with grapple, because it's the same goddamn rolls. Yeah, because it's all boring as it's shit. It's all athletics, acrobatics, yeah, exactly, something like right. that. Yeah. So, um, and we just use the grapple rules to get, and the shove rules to get past most of this, right? Yeah. And even the, can I climb it, I don't know, uh, roll athletics, right? Can I double through it? Roll acrobatics. Yeah. I don't need the variant rules for this. That just makes sense. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Um, do you think there's anything that's been missing off this list? Hmm. Yeah, it's missing off of it. I have one and only one. What? Trip. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, isn't that shove? Because you can knock them you down. You can knock them prone, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I always like the idea of being able to trip with like a, a 10-foot weapon. Like if you've got a halberd. Yeah. You're able to just like take them out of the ankles. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, you follow, like, you just, I would like there to be a trip attack. Yeah, instead of disarm, disleg? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> or that leg. Either one of the legs is good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, you could get into a little bit more based on size categories. Or is, there a, uh, is it a quadruped or a biped? Right? How do you have advantage or disadvantage? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of shit. If you are two size categories larger, then you can trip it more easily. That kind of shit. Yeah. Right? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. That's really the only one that I could think of off the top of my head that I'm like, that's the one I want to do. Yeah. I was all thinking it'd be cool to get shit like fish hook. But, like, <laughs> or just get gouge. Yeah. <laughs> Use the thumbs. Yeah. Uh, target is blinded until the end of your next turn. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, let me get into... Do you guys have any other thoughts before we move on to the next bit? Nope. Nope. All right, so here's some variant rules about spellcasting. All right, um, a, a lot of this is in the PHB, but some of it is in Xanathar's Guide to Everything as well. So let me get into this, because spellcasting is the most complicated part of this game. The thing it takes everybody the longest to figure the fuck out. Um, and so we've made it more complicated, so here we go. Uh, in the PHB, it says that some spells are more obvious than others. And so, um, and it specifically says Charm Person is... Uh, imperceptible. They use charm person as a as a um, an example, 
And the idea here is that you can tell when a fireball goes off. You can't tell if a person has been charmed. Yeah. But this isn't after the fact. This is the spell effect. It doesn't call it a spell effect. It says the spell because spell effects are different. But essentially the effect of the spell is imperceptible. Mm. Um, apparently it's a variant rule in Xanathar's Guide to Everything to have uh, the casting of a spell be observable. And this is a variant rule. Like most people don't play with this, which I find fucking wild. The idea that if there's a verbal, somatic, or material component that is a part of casting the spell, it is an option to have other people be able to perceive that. Yeah, I mean... I think that makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah. If I... Spells are not whispered under your breath. These are declarations of magical intent. Mm. These are... There's a reason you say abracadabra with flair, right? Like, it's a magic word. The hand movements in my head are Doctor Strange. Right, they're not Gandalf blowing lightly on a on a crystal to make it glow. Yeah, like it is great big hand movements, um, and material components getting used up. They literally get sent to the negative plane, so they get zapped out of existence. And there should be a little pop or a whiff of black smoke or something when they go. Right, there is something you can see when this happens. Mm. Terry always likes to eat his. If it's like <laughs> if it's like elderberries that are yeah. that are used up, or like the bat guano, he like shoves it in his mouth and chews it and swallows, and then he can cast the spell. Like <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was playing a fucked up druid. Like in the sounds UK. like yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even if it's a spell pouch or uh, like a spell component pouch or uh, foci or holy symbols, the holy symbols should glow. The arcane focus should hum or spin or something. Right. Um, and the reason I, I lean into this is because subtle spell is meta magic for sorcerers. It exists for a reason. And subtle spell um, says that um, the this makes it so that when you cast the spell, they can't see that you have cast the spell so you can do it in secret. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. That's intense. There's a reason bards don't fucking get this. <laughs> right? But apparently this is a variant that a lot of people don't know about and don't play with. All DMs out there should make it so that, yes, all spells are are perceptible until someone takes this. Or the other one that they list in Xanathar's, which is really cool, is if they're an innate spellcaster. So, for example, there are monsters out there that can essentially cast spells without using verbal, somatic, or or, um, material components. If you see in their stat block it says innate spellcasting, it just happens near them. Mm-hmm. They just think about it and it goes. So it's not perceivable. There's no idea that this creature did this. I didn't know that until I was reading this. And that's badass and cool for some of the weird face shit that's out there. Yeah. Like the world just starts to get weird around you and there's no reason why. Like, do hags have innate spellcasting? Do they not need spell components? That's fucking wild if that's the case. Right? So... I mean, I never really considered it, but yeah. no, they, they don't. Right? So, like, yeah. it, 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 as much as I think about it, they've got their little, like, bag of components, and they've got their cauldron with, with shit bubbling. Yeah. Right? Well, but I have Newt and Yeah, but and like, w- when dragons have innate spellcasting, they just think and it goes. Yeah. Hard stop. And, like, that's really cool from a DM perspective. Okay, awesome. I am so glad that I have this now. It's not a spellcaster or access to magic or... Innate spellcasting, different fucking rules. Yeah, very fun. Perceives the way it wants reality and makes it happen. Yeah, Um, and I think a lot of the times monstrosities with low intelligence too. So like a displacer beast doing its displacer shit is like innate spellcasting almost. Yeah. So it just 
it, it's in the same vein anyway. Okay. So it would be like, it, this is an ability that I can do. The blink dog blinks out. Yeah. That's it. It's That's just the thing it does. Yeah. So, it's like in, instinct. Yeah. I really like that. That's super That is pretty and awesome. Um, and I suggest everybody brings that to their table. That, mm. that makes magic more magical. Yeah. Um, also, if you can see that a spell has gone off, you can watch somebody casting the spell. Um, you can choose to identify it. Uh, and you have to use your reaction immediately after the spell has been cast. And if you miss it, you have to use an action to figure it out. So if Dave's character casts it and you want to know what he just cast, you have to burn your reaction on this round. Yeah. Otherwise, it takes your next turn. That makes sense. Like, you're watching him do it, so it's easier to figure out than it's already there. Yeah. Shit, what was the effect? Yeah, the idea that, you know, the delayed blast fireball, you didn't see them cast it. Yeah. Right? So, um, but the way that you do it is you use an arcana check. It's DC 15 plus the spell's level. You get advantage if that spell is on your list, on your spellcasting list. Mm. Um, and... Uh, uh, unless again, it's innate spell casting. Because so even if if I have some creature that can cast fireball, for example, right innately, God, I hope nothing can do that. But like, let's say that they can, and Dave has it on his list, and he wants to know, did he just cast fireball? It's innate spell casting. You don't know, so that doesn't work then, right? So sure, you can't tell. Um, I think that that's fun. I have had Dan specifically say, "Would I know? I'm a bard. Would I know?" And I, the idea of uh, of then having to look up, ah, uh, what what's the bard spell list? Would he fucking know? Yeah. Drags the game down quite a bit. And so I'm not sure. I'd be like, well, what do you think it is? Is that on your spell list, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> this is when you've played for three years and you're looking for more rules to spice up your table. Yeah. I think so. When you guys are all seasoned pros and you need that, like, to inject a little bit more flavor of something in, that's what this is. Or you swap DMs. Like, you've been playing for a long, long, long time, and so one person describes chill touch very differently than someone else describes it. Mm. The skeletal hand for one person is a ghostly hand for another. Was that chill touch? I don't know. Identify the spell. Let's roll an arcana check. Yeah. Right? That's that's kind of how I would play it. Um, I, I also like how you said, oh, it slows down combat, and that's why they made it take an action to figure it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Right, I don't know. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there's also invalid spell targets as an optional rule as well. Um, even if a creature doesn't count as a valid target, the spell casts as normal and material components get used up and the spell slot is used. So there are some things like, for example, um, trying to put an elf to sleep. The elf is an invalid target. Mm. The spell sleep still got cast. Yeah. It still burns the spell slot. It still burns the material. Um, sometimes you can tell that it didn't work. Sometimes you can't tell. It depends on the spells being cast and the targets that you're casting it on. For example, if it says, I target, a, you can use this spell to target creatures only. Mm. That's in the wording. And you're trying to shoot the chest to find out if it's a mimic or not. Can you target the chest? Oh, if it is a mimic, yes. Yeah. Right, but the moment that you say, "Okay, so it targets the chest," yeah, you've, you've now, you know, yeah, 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 as no. the DM, you've you've given that away, right? Well, so. but they do. I mean, the DM screen I have it has ACs for stuff like that, so it's like I think it has an AC of ten or something for a chest. Yeah, yeah, but that's for if you swing an axe to hit it, right? Like the idea is if you are if you're trying to just do like a like a firebolt at it to see. Yeah. Right. Or I want to make it. I'm going to make it do a deck save, like my acid splash cantrip. Yeah. Right. So will it make a deck save? 
<sighs> well, you just figured out whether or not it's a mimic, right? So there's some things that are invalid targets and not invalid targets. You can tell sometimes, you can't tell others. It's up to DM discretion. No. It was never a mimic all along and you just burned the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mimic mimic. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are also a whole lot of rules about area of, of uh, areas of effects on a grid. We talked about it a little bit. There's a lot about templates and tokens, and that's a two-way to track it. It's nearly impossible to discuss this with any real clarity in an audio medium without visual aids and, like, pictures of a grid. Like, you were complaining before. Yeah. That, that, well, what the fuck are they talking about with these hexes and everything? Yeah, the wedges? Yeah, right. Get out of here. So, um, so I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to glance past this. It, you, you can find this in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, templates are exactly what we talked about. The idea that you cut out, and it actually says, you know, cut out a piece of paper that uh, mimic this. Um, but the rule is different than it was in 3.5, and I've been running it wrong for years now in 5th edition. If a creature is in a square, and any part of that square is touched by the template, then the creature is affected. Hmm. I've always done 50% or more of the square. Interesting. I don't think we... No, it was any part of it. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, because you're still getting hit by whatever's in it. I'm pretty lenient, too. Like, if you're going to do your thing, I want you to do your thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it has definitely come up where I've had people, like, hold the template and say, well, I can only get a corner of this one, so I want the full blasted. I'd rather hit these three completely than these two a little bit, right? And so, I don't know, it's it's come up, definitely. Um, if an area of effect comes from the creature that cast the spell, then it extends from the caster. And you can choose, if you're playing on a grid, if it's at the line, like the side of your square, or the corner of your square. Are you talking about so, so like, like an aura kind of thing? Uh, no, uh, no, I'm just like, using like it as cone, an example, like a cone. Yeah, for okay. Example. Like a cone of cold. Yeah. It comes specifically from the edge of your square or the corner of your square. But only yeah. depending if you're facing in the right direction. Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, well, it will matter a whole lot if you're using facing rules. But the idea here is that it doesn't come from the center of your square. Yeah, or it doesn't like because when you're dealing with cones or circles. That'll that may not catch some squares then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I always assume that your player takes up your entire square. So it, it from you, if it's fifteen feet, it goes out an additional three. Yeah. Hard stop, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you have to uh, make sure that you remember. This was not part of the rules, but I'm going to say this: make sure you know the difference between a radius and a diameter and a circumference. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you use tokens... When does the circumference ever come up? <laughs> well, the fireball up? comes with a circumference of 39 and a half feet. What? No. no <laughs> <not that. laughs> um, if you use tokens, and so... Uh, do you guys, Have you guys ever used tokens for areas of effect? The idea here is that you lay down pennies or dice is what they recommend inside the squares. And so any square with a die in it or with a penny or whatever in it is affected by it. Yeah. So you map it out with tokens. Uh, we use wet erase, so we just map it out with a pen. Yeah. It makes sense, but that just seems way too laborious. Yeah. The other thing about it, too, is that it's all done with uh, flat and uh, flat sides and square corners. Yeah. So if you've got a cone at a weird angle, you've got to draw a zigzag across the map to determine which squares it's hitting, um, which can be a little bit fucky. And there are rules... In there about when you do it on angles and corners and all that crazy shit. Like, but it is fucky. Like, you're going to sit there and argue. It's going to drag the whole game down. Yeah. Don't use tokens. Use templates. Yeah. 
Your life is so much easier. And if I can be honest, spend the 20 bucks, get on Etsy and order one. There are people that are selling that shit on Instagram all of the time. These little clear colored templates. And they're fantastic. Yeah. They're great. Let's, uh, let's roll initiative again. 13. Oh, one. 19. All right, I'm talking to myself then. Good. Uh, how do you feel about perceiving the caster and identifying a spell? And how do you put your own personal spin on this? I, I like it. I think everyone should do it. Everyone should always do that level of shit. If you're letting your characters cast Charm Person in a crowded bar and nobody fucking notices, you're doing it wrong. That's too much. Well, I mean, doesn't it say, right? Like, you can't tell what the effect is. Sure, they see someone casting a spell, but... Yeah, but you may not be able to tell, sure. But, like, yeah. if there's a guy in the middle of the bar waving his arms around, screaming something in Latin... Everyone in the bar, like, the music stops and everyone takes a step back and looks around for the weird thing to happen. Yeah. And suddenly the surly bartender's like, free drinks for everyone, sure. <laughs> okay, we figured it the fuck out. Yeah. Like, there's, there's an insight check there, but but sure, yeah, we figured it the fuck out. Mm -hmm. So, um, and uh, and the idea of identifying a spell, good. Now we know what Arcana is for. <laughs> it's the skill that yes. never gets used on the fucking page, right? This actually came uh, up recently. We use Arcana. Yeah, we, we do use it fairly frequently, I do would you? say, yeah, mm. to identify maybe what the magical effect of a scroll is, because maybe the scroll isn't going to be in a language that they're familiar with. You yeah, know, if right? you cast the Identify spell, and again, I have a power gamer at my table, if you cast an Identify spell, it just tells you that shit. Yeah. Also, if you take a short rest with a magical item, and you just focus on it as if you were attuning... No matter the language, you know what magical effect it does. Sure. We, Even if it's a curse? That's fifth ed. Yep. We like... Uh, I hate that. Yeah. I pulled that shit away from yeah. my table, so... I like to just hit the highlights and keep going, right? Yeah. So I'm very much a... No, I'm not going to give it to you. Make your arcana check. Let's figure out what that wand does. See what that scroll does. Yeah. Right? Do, yeah. You, do you use the, plus, uh, the 15 plus spell level? No, I use whatever number I make up on the spot. Yeah, okay. That, that, yeah. Legitimately, that is how I make up, oh, let's say 95% of my DCs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, DCs are supposed to be, you know, kind of seat of your pants for yeah. the most part. So It's one of those, uh, how easy would it actually be for this character to do it? Yeah. A 15 for the so spellcaster is not the same 15 as it would be for a... A barbarian. A barbarian, yeah, you yeah. know? It, it, it shouldn't be, but a lot of people run it like it is. Right? Yeah, and, and, and there's a, an argument to be had for it, for sure. But I don't want to get bogged down on that. I want to progress. I, I find some days we're pretty slow to begin with, and it drags on. And on. Yeah. So let's let's cut the bullshit and keep going. We're here to tell a story and roll some dice. Yeah, do you like it, the identifying a spell and the perceiving it and all that? Yeah. Those rules? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, I I will forget about them the next time I need to do it, but I like them. <laughs> yep. Um, as a DM, having to explain the validity of a target to a player can be seen as confrontational. No, you can't target that guy. You burned your spell slot and nothing happened. Do you have any tips or tricks for other DMs so that they can avoid unwanted tension during a session with that shit? Uh, oh, well, I'm last. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Don't lay down your table. <laughs> <laughs> I have done a lot of legwork over the years to build trust with my players. So when I say it doesn't work, they will go, that's weird. Something fucky is happening in the game. I trust that this is fair. I will see this through. Mm -hmm. It takes a while to get there. And if you're one of these online DMs that has 
a new game every four months and stuff with different players all the time. That's hard to do to just have that trust. Yeah. Um, but I would honestly, and I had to do this at first, especially with a couple of players I used to play with. Um, I would have to break the fourth wall and say, trust me. It is fair. It's part of the puzzle. This did not work and it used your spell slot. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay doing that because it allows them to know that I'm not being a dick. I'm not just saying, no, I don't like your shit. Yeah. So, well, at least not more of a dick than usual. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I am a consistent amount of dick. Yeah. I can say that for sure. <laughs> Dave? Oof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to build on what you previously said, when we're sitting at the table, I expect that my players trust me. If you don't, go away. Uh, I'm not here to argue the minutiae and the motivations of phase spiders or things like that. That's really not what I'm here for. God, get over it. So, uh, <laughs> but that being said, a, a new player, like, it does take a minute, and I probably should be more tolerant of things like that, which clearly I'm not. I mean, not, like, just to flip it for a sec, I mean, not to be that fucking guy at you, Dave, but you did the opposite of, uh, ab of accidentally omitting some information, and then a genocide happened. Yeah, Dave. No, no, not really. <laughs> not really. No, it was. I I think it's fair to say that it was a little bit of both. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Fair. But like but, uh, that was clearly a, a a thing where your player needed to trust you, right? And I think ultimately, like, yes, Kyle, you did, right? Yeah, yeah. Here the, we are. Yeah, shit happens. Yeah, right? yeah. But, on. but there, that is something where that was a bit of a DM flub. And if you were at a nah. table, if you were at a table with players that didn't trust you, people would walk, right? So the idea of having your players automatically trust you for that shit, I think you and I take for granted because we've been playing with the same people that we've known for years and years, which is not true for everybody at every table. Yeah, and let me be very clear: I will not DM for just about anybody. Like, like it's a very limited amount of people. It's a closed game. Yeah. It's yeah. an exclusive club. Yeah, yeah they got to be a, like a certain level of chump to make it to our table. <laughs> you have to have a consistent amount of dick to get to Dave's table. <laughs> Kyle, how do you... Less than two inches. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, so, uh, what I like to do is um, describe it, right? Try to add a little mm, storytelling to it like not just oh it didn't work it's you know you saw this person and they looked like they just scuffed it off like they didn't even care all right uh, there was another time we were dealing with uh shambling mounds right where they if they take lightning damage they get health right yeah. i would describe it as you know you shot that lightning bolt and you saw the shambling mound get a little bit bigger like the the leaves got a little bit more green right it's something to kind of like clue you in that something is off to it and that doing it again is not going to work that this is a purposeful reason within the story and not just you saying no yeah right and then walking the fuck away yeah because it, if you just dismiss it mm -hmm. then people will feel like they have been dismissed yeah i mean that's or just, you're trying to cheat them right yeah that's just how to deal with people 101 though have you met the people that play this hobby dave the idea of social awareness is fucking middle ask terry <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, okay, the next thing I want to talk about, by the way, I love all of you that will listen to this. Join the Patreon. Um, uh, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, simultaneous effects. So, clearly things can happen simultaneously in Dungeons & Dragons. However, we do play in a turn-based game, right? So, 
The way that it works according to the variant rule on Xanathar's uh, Guide to Everything, page 77, uh, is the person whose turn it is controls the order of the shit popping off. Okay. If you want to hold your action until you see the Hobgoblin Guard come through the door, and the Hobgoblin Guard is tiptoeing through the door, and he is held, um, and he is ready to get his shield up the moment he senses something is wrong, but you've got a crossbow bolt, you know, aimed at him. It's your turn, um, and you held your action. Well, now I'm controlling the Hobgoblin. He comes through the door. I get to control the order of shit that goes off, and you don't have any say about that. He may glance at you first, and, like, perception check, he sees you, the shield comes up. Yeah. So your attack, you know, has a disadvantage, or you don't get that surprise round or whatever. However, if it's on your turn, you are waiting for Dave to drag the Hobgoblin um, uh, out and you're waiting to use, uh, or sorry, then it would be Dave's turn. Yeah. So Dave is bringing it out and then Dave would choose, does Kyle shoot first or the Hobgoblin react? Right? So depending on whose fucking turn it is, they control the order of the things. Not necessarily the effectiveness, but the order of them, which feels a little odd. It does. Okay. It does. But I think it makes the most sense because... I don't know. It it's, just, it's the easiest to, to accept. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to cut arguments earlier, right? You're not going to have that pointless argument. No, but this happens first, or this happens... It's, it's a fair middle ground. Yeah. yeah. Without knowing this, how did you guys handle these simultaneous effects in the past? I always let them go first. Play, yeah, players of the heroes. Yeah. yeah. Or whenever we remember it to happen. Yeah, that's true. But we'll we'll go back a half a turn to let it happen at the right time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, if it's close for me, I will go based on who has the highest decks or or the highest initiative. Okay, sure. Um, that's often what it comes down to in a real tie, where I can't I can't determine. Both Dan and the and uh, Terry reached out to grab um, poker chips off the table at the same time. We're not even in initiative. Who's got the Who's got the higher initiative? Who's going to get the jump on the other? Yeah, and if it's tied, roll off sleight of hands. Right, like there are ways to to do it to find tiebreakers, and I will often rely on the stats, like the decisions that have been made during character creation, and if not that, then dice. I personally, as a DM, don't want to be responsible for that shit. Yeah, because I don't want to be the adversarial dungeon master. I don't want to have to referee that. Yeah, I mean, rock paper scissors is my normal go to if there's. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen that a lot at tables as well, and I don't mind that. I find that this is a little bit funky. I'd be curious to play with it, but it's it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts about it before we move on? No. No, uh, not really. We have one final section here, and it's one of my favorite things ever, and that is morale. And specifically, the idea of retreating. Enemies will retreat under some circumstances. Uh, a lot of players or a lot of DMs will have their creatures fight to the death. I hate having my creatures fight to the death. Unless they're zealots. A UNT cultist, 100% fights to the death. Mm. However, most even beasts will run away at some point, right? Um, it says it gives some examples um, in Xanathar's. It says, a single creature might retreat if it's surprised, if it's reduced to 50% of its hit points, or if it can't hurt any enemies on this turn, which felt a little bit weird to me. So if it's standing there watching combat and it can't get involved, it'll just run away. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, fight or flight. Sure. Yeah. I guess if you are attacking the Cobalt camp and it 
the kobolds can't get to you and all the other kobolds have run forward, yeah, it'll fuck off. Yeah. But if the kobolds are ambushing you and it can't get to you on this turn, yeah, it's, it's not going to... It's situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... I'm also kind of imagining, like, you know, they come into battle and they'll just take one shot, just a pot shot, and then they'll run. And yeah. if they miss, they'll, st- they'll still run. They'll be like, oh, shit, I lost my advantage, so I'm out of here. Um, it then says that an entire group might retreat if every creature in the group is surprised. So there are the surprised rules, right? If um, if you can surprise them, then they don't get a, an action or anything on their turn, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, if the leader is knocked out, killed, incapacitated, captured, or taken off the battlefield, mm-hmm. or if the group is reduced to 50% of its numbers, well, the opposing forces are relatively unscathed. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah I have no yeah, problem with any of that. No. Um, for creatures that are by themselves or a leader of a group, uh, if they are, if they have, you know, reached the conditions, like 50% of the group has been wiped out at this point, um, they have to make a DC 10 wisdom save to keep everybody there. If the leader is killed and that's what's triggering the group retreating, then the next highest charisma in the group gets to make that DC 10 wisdom roll. Okay. Okay, why isn't it a charisma roll, and why is it a wisdom? The wisdom is about, because wisdom's not actually wisdom in 5th edition, right? It's situational awareness. Yeah. That's why it's perception and investigation and all that shit, right? So, it's survival and whatnot. It, technically, this would be your situational awareness, whereas charisma is about understanding intention. Um you know what the in- intention of the barbarian swing of the battle axe is. Yeah. You don't need to do a roll on that. The charisma... The next highest charisma is, can I control the other minions around? Will they flock to my leadership, right? So the second in command probably has a second highest charisma. Yeah, okay. Um, But it'll be their wisdom roll, which should be relatively high. So you should have a decent chance of not retreating because it's a DC 10 wisdom. Mm. And that never changes. That's just the, the stock number. Okay. Um, when you retreat, you get away by the fastest means possible. Mm-hmm. That leads me to believe that we are not disengaging. I, th- I think it depends on how smart the enemy is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I also... Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it, there's wiggle room on that for sure. I wouldn't even say it's an intelligence thing. That, again, might be a wisdom thing. Yeah. Right? Because a wolf will know when to, like, back away slowly and threaten with its teeth yeah. before it takes off when it's, you know, 15 feet away. Right. Whereas uh, some soldiers won't know to, to do that. Right. Um, yeah. Or like a swarm of ravens. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, if you cannot escape, then you immediately surrender. Yeah. If they surrender, but they're still attacked, then battle resumes and there will be no more retreating and surrendering. They're fighting to the death. We tried to surrender and you didn't accept it. That's it. Everybody goes to war. Yeah. yeah that would make sense. And the last thing that, that it mentions uh, in a lot of words is retreating isn't always necessarily um, a good thing for the winning army. If your party walks in and all the goblins run away, that's not always good. No. They're going somewhere else. You don't... Re- you retreat away from a situation, but you also retreat towards a situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're funneling you towards a trap or they are... Funneling you to a bigger guys or something like that. Yeah, they right? are capable of tactics. Yeah, right? yeah, they're going. It, even the baby bear will run to its mother. Yeah, right. Um, so let's grab dice for one more round of initiative. Don't they fuck off! I want that one. God damn it. Ten. Eight. I can't see. Three for Kyle. Three. Well, first of the ten. Uh, when your DM, how often do you get the enemies to retreat? 
Rarely. They always fight to the death. They have to have motivation to retreat. Other than that, like these were, I mean, we're going through Mad Mage. It's pretty much what I DM at this point. Uh, these creatures are down here to fight to the death. Like they're, they are down here to be not just part of the menagerie, but to be guards as well. Uh, a lot of the time they're serving a higher purpose and they will absolutely put their life on the line to defend that. So now they don't retreat. If they do, there's probably a reason. Yeah. Look out. Yeah. Um, I will have creatures retreat uh, all of the time, and it's never a good thing. It is never good. You will fight this thing later. Yeah. Uh, my players have figured out, you hunt that fucker down. You do not let it get away. And if it's got a movement speed, you do everything you can to cripple that bastard. Well, yeah, I jumped into the lake of acid to kill those dolgrims. Yeah, yeah. We had a couple of uh, of dolgons and dolgrims who are the inside-out hobgoblins and goblins from Eberron. They were coming out of a lake that was turning creatures inside-out, and they were grabbing the players and dragging them in. And, like, round one, all of Charlie's leg hair fell out because, like, his body was dying. Yeah. And Dave's like, fuck it. I got to get in there. And it was, like, con saves, and you made the con saves. It was barbarian, yeah. Yeah, so his Leona didn't get deferred, but... Not deferred. It's deferred, but deep. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the idea of retreating is is always a fucking issue. Well, I remember a couple of campaigns ago, all of the uh, all of the goblins. No, it was orcs that attacked. Um, they ran away, and and the players were like, oh, they showed up just to run away. That's weird. Then they discovered some of their items were missing. Yeah, haha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can bet they went hunting. <laughs> Suddenly the ranger was tracking. Yeah. So, Kyle, do you use a lot of retreating? Um, I wouldn't say a lot. I do try to. Uh, a lot of the times I forget. Or a lot of the times also, if I am retreating, it's because I'm bored of the combat. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this isn't working out the way I wanted it to. Honestly, that's, that's not a bad point. Like You're managing a game. Like, yeah. Man- manage it. Exactly. If, if you've got one guy left... And your barbarian's going to kill him. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like you're halfway across the screen and there's going to be a whole thing. Now, nah, you know, what? he's just going to go out. Yeah, we're here to play playoff hockey, not regular season soccer. Yeah. Right? Like, fuck that. If this is long and boring, I'm out. Yeah. Um, Dave, when you're a DM, how often do you get the friendly NPCs to retreat? We don't use them. And when we do, uh, you guys control them. So never. Never? Never. The, the NPCs are not mine to, to control. Uh, the they are the NPCs are going to be locked in this location to give information or help in some manner, or they're going to accompany. And if they're accompanying, the party gets to decide. What they're combatants if they're accompanying. Yeah, it's it's with the child. They get down over here with yeah. yak. Shoot your crossbow. You know, just that kind of thing. Yeah. So I uh, I have my NPCs retreat all the time. You guys have been escorting NPCs all of the time. Yeah, if, and if, they if run back behind though, cover. If we didn't, it would just slow everything down because there's like thirty of them. Yeah, but yeah. my players are heroes. Mm-hmm. The yeah. NPCs are not. Yeah, they are there to be protected. Therefore, they must be fairly useless. Therefore, they're going to run away. And half the time, they will they will run away in the wrong fucking direction, mm. which is pretty hilarious to watch. My players flip out. No, 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 this way. Um, and that's actually, Dave, how your character died, how Xenthos died, was there were a bunch of NPCs that were um, uh, herded into a bar because they thought the tavern would be safe. And then, nope, the floorboards splintered and creatures came up out of the ground. They're like, well, shit. So then it was run back out of the tavern 
Um, but a handful of them like stayed in the tavern because it's still safer in here than out there. And it clearly fucking wasn't. So your character was escorting all of the people running out, saw that there were still six children inside and went, fuck, and went back to get them. And then you died in a, in a blaze of glory rescuing them. Oh, damn children. It's always the damn children. <laughs> yeah. This is why you shouldn't have children. I, I don't. Or at least none that I'm willing to acknowledge. Um, do you ever have friendly NPCs retreat, Kyle? Uh, yeah, they are cowering in the back all the time. Yeah, they're, they're not there to add to initiative? Not really at all. If I am going to have one, like I did with Yak when I created a sidekick, it's, he's just going to be there for buffs. He's just going to help the party look better. Yeah, I think sidekicks won't retreat. And, yeah. Like I think that's your point too, Dave, right? It's like, if you're there for combat, you're there for combat. Yeah. But, um, morale aside, so if you're not taking in all those morale scenarios... Is there anybody that um, that never retreats? Any monster type? Any kind of motivation that'll make it so that you never retreat? Dave was talking about guards. Guards don't retreat. Yeah, the the guys, the the, the foot soldiers, they don't retreat unless it's been ordered to. Right, like if they're in a military faction of some kind, they have orders. They're not retreating. If there's an organization to it, uh, they're they're going to be. A little more committed, you know? I actually look at creature type. Celestials and fiends, so devils, demons, and other generic fiends, um, and yugoloths, they will never retreat. If they're killed, they respawn back on their own planet. There's no reason to retreat. They'll be back. Yeah. Um, also, undead won't retreat for the most part. They're there for an undead purpose. Uh, like a lich might or a death knight with an army to run may but, I mean, that mummy is coming at you. The zombie's coming at you. The ghost is here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, constructs, depending on if they're programmed or not. Plants and oozes don't have the intelligence to retreat. So, like, I, I, that's one of the places where I look. Monstrosities, yeah. Beasts, yeah. 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 Aberrations, yeah, but at the weirdest times. <laughs> and for the and Faye for the dumbest reasons. Yeah. Right? Oh, man, I still got half a burger in the fridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Kyle, do you have any other, like, who never retreats? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, a lot of times it's um, intelligence-based or wisdom-based uh, aberrations most of the time. I won't. Anything that's, like, chaotic evil a lot of the time, I won't have them retreat. Yeah, but chaotic evil doesn't mean chaotic stupid. Yeah, I right? know. It, not always. But, but, but I mean, a lot of the, If I was going to pick the highest percentage of people that don't retreat for me, it would be chaotic evil. Yeah, I would also say that anything that's a zealot. Yeah. Cultists, like the true believers don't retreat. Yeah. Yep. If you're like right at the end and it's, uh, I can't let you have this, you know? Um, when you're, when the enemies are retreating and it's a bad thing because they're going to get reinforcements or they're leading towards a trap or anything, do you telegraph that to the players? No. Absolutely not. To see if the can, whole purpose. See if they can figure it out on their own? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I usually telegraph that um, just a little bit too late. So you have gotten into enemy territory, but you haven't triggered the trap. You can smell f- like smoke on the air, but you can't see it yet. Uh, or there's a, a little line of smoke in the distance, and they run towards that smoke. Yeah. Oh, right. so one of those things that you can tell in retrospect. Yeah, shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Right? Or... Um, the foliage, they're running in, and you'll notice that they're heading towards the densest foliage. Mm-hmm. Oh, because they're going to go hide. No, it's because there's 90 more of them hiding in the foliage, right? Like, 
Uh, so I will telegraph that, but it's usually too late. Yeah. The next encounter has started. You're just not aware of it yet. Yeah. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on morale before we wrap up? No. No. I mean, it, it makes... I would be interested to see how this stacks up with the Dragonlance game with the, like, large-scale combat mm-hmm. when it's affecting troops and stuff like that. Yeah. But for one-on-one combat or you guys walk into a room and there's this one CR-12 creature, no, I'm probably not using this. Uh, I still absolutely will. Creatures want to live and fight tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And this is also how I get minor recurring villains. Right? So, um, when they beat up the guy in the bar because he tried to beat them up, he beat them up at level one, they came back at level four and beat him up, he's back with more bastards at, like, you know, at level eight. Yeah. Now there's a big fucking fight to the death, right? We've earned this fight, and they are being targeted. So, so yeah, sometimes the retreat is is a strategic long-term plan for me. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah, I don't see myself using the actual morale Rules? criteria, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, I do it's like retreating and then coming back. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's a good baseline to go off of. It's a good idea. It's worth considering, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's cut to our last ad break before we move on. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes and comments. Engagement like that help us pop up on search engines and keep the show running. All right, guys, uh, let's roll some dice here and figure if we got some final thoughts going on. I'm just telling you. I got a 12. I also have a 12. Nine going last again. I got a three. No, I got a 16. I got a nine. All right, Dave, you're up first. Final thoughts. Uh, facing is trash, but a lot of these other items uh, and variant rules are things that you should absolutely consider to use every now and then. Sometimes. So, yeah. Something to... Something to clip to the inside of the DM screen to go, uh, maybe this. Yeah, as a DM, you should be familiar with this so that when your player says, I want to do blah, you can say yes. There's a mechanic it. for that. Yeah. Here it is. But I wouldn't depend on them to, hey, I'm going to mark this turn. Hey, I'm going to mark this turn. No, no. You want to know the one thing that I'm missing? I, I was thinking about this afterwards besides trip. I would like there to be a handoff or a throw. So you can use your bonus action to, like... So you pulled out the, the potion and you want to give it to somebody else. Mm. You can toss it up to 15 feet without a roll or beyond, like, half your movement without a roll or your full movement with a DC 10 plus whatever, right? Like, plus your decks. So, like, something like that. Like, there there should be that. How many times has it popped up where I have one one character, one player has got a potion and they want to hand it to somebody else? Or we're trying to keep the orb away from the necromancer. Or there's something. It does come up, and it creates more interesting, more varied combat encounters. Because I have different objectives beyond do damage. Yeah. Do damage, sometimes heal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting mechanic. So, I would would like to see that. Maybe something to think about in my own homebrew. Like, hey, if if we want to do this in the future. Because we just lost uh, three players and a sidekick. Um, in a single session, uh, and uh, it was, Jesus. yeah, out of five players and a sidekick, yeah. two players, two player characters walked away. So um, when that happened, it sucked. 
but they were having a lot of trouble getting the potions to the right people. Mm-hmm. Had they been able to toss the potions across the map, they might have been able to live. Yeah, I mean, I think you could roll it into something like athletics already. I mean, because I think that's the idea is that... Well, you use Tensor's floating disc to float the potion over to your person. I guess yeah. Mage Hand could do it for you, hey? Yeah. Hmm. Sure. I, yeah. I just like the idea of throwing. Also, it lets me throw Alchemist Fire. Yeah. Honestly, that's one of the reasons you could justify being an arcane trickster is because you get the the mage hand ledger main right yeah mm. so it's invisible so yeah, yeah and you can do whatever you want with that like that honestly great use for it actually yeah i imagine like just crushing it right above a bunch of people <laughs> the, the, the healing potion or the alchemist fire yeah either one <laughs> yeah. the first one then the other yeah <laughs> and not in the order you want no that that's torture yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your God giveth, and your God taketh away. <laughs> Should have retreated. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to try to use morale more, maybe. I, I agree with Dave. Facing is trash. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. Some of the extra actions, I think they are going in the right direction. I just don't think they go far enough for my taste. I feel like that's the difference between 5th and 3.5, though. Yeah. 5th is supposed to be user-friendly, very palatable, everybody's having fun. 5th is crunchy and gritty, or 3.5 is crunchy and gritty, let's get into the minute details and really fucking figure this out. I I really, yeah, but there's some things with 3.5 that I appreciate, like the every other diagonal on the grid is double movement, right? I do like that better. Mm. It makes it feel more realistic. Yeah. So, I mean, it isn't, but it makes it feel that way. Um, I'm also surprised that, like, if there's a wall or a hedge or something on the corner that you can't just, like, walk that diagonal. Yeah. You've got to go the long way around. That feels a little shitty to me. But, it does. But I, I'm not I'm not going to use that. I'm going to let them walk the diagonal. I mean, as a hunter, corner hopping's no good. <laughs> All right, Dave. Legit, like you can't. Like it, it, it comes up in hunting because they get the corner of the properties. You can't. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't yeah. do it. It's fine by me, man. Makes sense. All right. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah, go around the uh, corners, man. Uh, so that's all for our discussion on the combat variant rules in fifth edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week we'll be returning with a discussion on about the most powerful kind of gem dragon from Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. I feel like there was... Like, no combat variant rules compared to previous editions. Yeah. Like, this felt light and dumb.
Yeah, they all felt like a reaction, like, oh, people are going to be pissed if we don't have more. The Pathfinder people will be mad at us. Uh, Turn it up a bunch so that we can just talk in regular volumes. Turn it up. Every now and then I turn it up. All right. Grits, 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 grits. They call on me, Mr. Gribbs. Uh, so that's all for our discussion on the combat variant rules in 5th edition. Make sure you... the, the So that's all for our discussion. Okay, see you next time.